When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Listening to Talking Out Loud, still the number one podcast in the Atlantic 10 and among Dayton Flyers basketball fans everywhere. The only podcast on the internet consistently reminding you to wear red and be loud. And welcome back to another episode of Talking Out Loud. I'm your host, Sully. We have, indeed, a jam-packed show tonight. C.J. Moore, who covers the Kansas Jayhawks for The Athletic, joins me in the first segment, while my pal, Brooks Hall, joins us for the second segment to talk about what the hell just happened. What did just happen? I'm still asking myself that same question and trying to decide if I'm more frustrated about the first three losses of the season or less so because there are so many things to now look forward to. Either way, the Dayton Flyers are 4-3. and three. They've turned it around going from 1-3 and three to 4-3. and three. And uh, there's promise. There's hope for the season. We can now take it week to week. That's a great thing. You know, about a week ago, I was sitting there and I was saying to myself, it's going to be a long year, and how in the hell are Flyer fans going to get through this one? I was thinking about trudging to the A-10 tournament, watching 25 games that didn't have a whole lot of meaning, and now we get to look at it like, hey, let's win these next two home bye games and see what happens. Now, that hasn't exactly come easy for the Flyers. They now have as many road victories as they do home losses. That would be three neutral victories in Orlando and three home losses. First time that's happened in quite some time, and that'll be our trivia question later on tonight during the program. First and foremost, want to start tonight before I kick it over to our first segment, uh, just outlining how wrong I was about the trajectory of the Dayton team and how wrong I believe most people were. However, as I have stated on Twitter otherwise and otherwise, 
is that if you believe the Dayton Flyer season was going nowhere as of a week ago, that was a completely reasonable thing to do, and you could back that up with factual statistical data. If you were a person who maybe thought the Dayton season was salvageable and that they were turning it on and they were a young team and they were figuring it all out, well, guess what? You are now vindicated. You have your three-game sample set to point to and say, hey, these Dayton Flyers are heading in the right direction. But whatever the case, the Flyers coming home 4-3 and three and have completely turned around their season. They are now ranked 107 in the Ken Palm 1 spot behind Miami of Florida. And I will also outline later on in the show still how much work they have to do to get to that at-large spot, which is a safe distance away given that they have three quad four losses. But there's stuff to look forward to, plenty to look forward to, and there's a lot of questions that we get to take into this week and hope that the Flyers can come back home and get things moving in the right direction. Um, Really hoping for a blowout on Wednesday night when Alabama State comes to town coached by none other than Mo Williams. You know, before we get to the first segment tonight with CJ Moore, it's a great time to remind you that the podcast tonight and talking out loud as a program this season is brought to you by the Lions and Reynolds team at Vickering Realty. If you're looking for a home in the southwestern Ohio region, you have to look no further than Lori Lyons and Trisha Reynolds. Buying a home is stressful. We all know that. So eliminate the hassle and let Lori and Trisha go to work finding your next dream home today. Buying a home is on your radar in the near future. Choose the Lions and Reynolds team at Vic Green Realty. They are realtors you can rely on. All right, without further ado, we're going to get the Kansas perspective up first here on the show this week from C.J. Moore. I'll give you more about his details on the other side of the break. You're listening to Talking Out Loud. And welcome into Talking Out Loud for a special segment on today's show. You know, it's not often that the Dayton Flyers knock off uh, the Kansas Jayhawks, and it's not often the Dayton Flyers knock off a top five team in the AP. In fact, it hasn't happened since 1984 when Dayton made a buzzer beater in their own building to beat DePaul, who was at the time, I believe, ranked number two in the country. One of the most famous wins in Dayton history, but in honor of Dayton pulling off what was the most improbable win I could ever remember in my fandom as a Dayton Flyers fan, I brought on a special guest so that we could hear it from the opponent's side of things. He is at CJ Moore Hoops. He goes by CJ Moore. He is a staff writer for The Athletic and just happens to be a Kansas Jayhawks graduate and writer for the Jayhawks for quite some time now. We welcome him onto the program. CJ, it's great to have you, man. I guess, you know, I I should say, like, how was your weekend? But it wasn't exactly what Kansas fans had in mind, I'm sure. Uh, well, I only root for myself, so <laughs> I, I, I was fine this weekend. But, um, no, it was, uh, it was a heck of a performance by Dayton. Um, I don't think a lot of people saw that coming, especially if you looked at – Dayton's results to date uh, before that, but hey, beat a you know beat a decent Miami team pretty well the day before, and um, I think kind of got Kansas in a vulnerable spot. And uh, okay, you got a little comfortable, and you know can't do that against a good team. And it was a heck of a performance. I mean, no matter uh, the circumstances, to be able to beat a Kansas team that um, I think is defensively not quite where it should be yet, but, but offensively is, is, is pretty far along, uh, was an impressive performance. 
Before we dig into it, um, give the Dayton listeners a little background about yourself. What have you been doing? How long have you been at The Athletic? Give them a little bit of bio. This is your time. I like having featured guests on. You know, They need to know a little bit about you, all right? Yeah, yeah, no problem. Uh, I am from Kansas City, went to Kansas, uh, just grew up a basketball, die hard. Um, was the national was the national college basketball writer at Bleach Report for uh, a number of years, starting in like 2012, maybe, and then uh, have been at the Athletic. I think we were just talking off air. I think this will be the fifth season I'm covering uh, for the Athletic. So uh, do a lot of Kansas, do a lot of Midwest stuff, do a lot of Big Twelve. Uh, you know, kind of bounce around, kind of have the basketball nerd at the athletics so uh you know when it comes to film breakdown and stuff i'm usually the guy doing that so do a little bit of everything and uh yeah interested to see what uh what happens with your with your flyers this year they're they're an interesting team yeah i think we're all a little bit interested but yeah top of the interview i just need to legitimize you you know so that people know i didn't just you know pull some schmuck in off the street you know what you're talking about here you know like that's the whole purpose of it i need to frame the conversation to say hey we got somebody that actually knows what he's talking about so i you know i like tell my listeners shut up and listen to his opinion so here we go um you know, going into the season here with kansas what was the expectation i mean obviously for you guys every year it's kind of like you know let's figure out how to win the conference uh let's figure out how to get to the final four but um you give the listeners some context going into the year obviously you guys are top five supposed to be one of the better teams in the country but what were the expectations going into this season coming off of what was a weird year for everybody last year yeah ku last season was not your typical kansas it was a solid team that really got rolling second half of the big 12 season changed its defense a little bit became a really really elite defensive team um, you know, a big part of that was Marcus Garrett, who no longer is around. He was kind of the heart and soul of that team. And, you know, you look at the, what they did in the Big 12 second half of the season, they lost, you know, I think they're, they went like something like uh, won seven of their last eight, maybe, or six of their last seven, somewhere around there yep. to end the Big 12 season, and including a win against Baylor, who wasn't quite right because it had COVID right before that, it's COVID pause, but still you went against Baylor, you know, that's, that's a big deal. So KU was really rolling along. Then, then COVID hit Kansas, uh, you know, David McCormick had it, Jalen Wilson had it. Those guys were actually back for the NCAA tournament, but not the same. And I don't know if you remember, they, they got blitzed by USC. Yep. So that was, I that think was an ugly one. <laughs> you know, they, they weren't, the Jayhawks weren't quite that bad as it looked that night. Cause you know, I, I do think COVID affected them, but, but they also, that game kind of showed, okay, they don't have the typical talent athleticism that you're used to Kansas teams having. Sure. And particularly in the backcourt, they didn't have enough guys that could just go create shots, get their own shot. They were really missing that. So that was kind of Bill Self's priority in the off season. I need to go get some playmaking guards, be able to play two-point guards, two combo-type guards together again. It's really deep. They can really score it. Now, defensively, they got to figure some things out. But I think this will be a team that hangs around the top 10 all year. So this is going to stand up to be a really, really good win for Dayton. 
Well, of course, that's exactly why I asked you that question. It's very astute of you to point that out because um, you know how it works in the uh, world of mid-major non-conference play. As soon as we beat you, we immediately become your biggest fans. So guess what? There's a bunch of people in Dayton, Ohio that are now big Kansas Jayhawk fans. So uh, please welcome us onto the bandwagon with open arms. We're polite and uh, most of us are good at cooking. Um, with that in mind, you guys uh, walked into that game four and one, right? Or sorry, four and zero. Oh, rather, Dayton made it four and one um, with a win over Michigan State. Um, and then you know Kansas jumped out to a fifteen point lead. UD was able to claw their way back into the game. Before the game, was there a weakness that was obvious to? to you or was there a weakness that was glaring about this Kansas team that maybe Dayton tried to exploit? Uh, to me, it, it kind of just felt like you said earlier on the, the show here is that Kansas kind of took their foot off the gas. So my question was, you know, did you see something going into that game? You say, okay, this is an area where Kansas actually could be exploited. I think they're, they're small guards in the backcourt. Uh, you can take advantage of them if you're able to if you've got big physical guards, whether it's driving or just kind of backing those guys down. And you know, I thought Malachi Smith kind of changed the game with his ability to put pressure on the defense, get into the paint. And um, you know, they've also been a little weak at. Def- you know, Dayton didn't really expose us a ton because they only made five of 17 threes. Yeah. But I think they've let, let some teams walk into a few too many threes and not apply that pressure on the perimeter. And then defensively, you know, David McCormick is, is big. He can be awkward sometimes, but when he goes to the bench, uh, you know, I think they've had struggle. They've struggled defensively when Mitch Lightfoot comes onto the floor, he's a guy teams seem to go at and want to go at. So, Defensively, they're still trying to figure things out. And then, you know, a big key for this, for this game was Jalen Wilson's a guy that they expected to be a starter. He gets a DUI right before the season, suspended for the first three games. And so this was his second game back, and he plays 23 minutes and scores one point, yep. misses all four of his shots uh, from the field, two turnovers. I think his him really not having a feel for where to fit in, where to attack – uh, it, it was a bad game for him. So, so two really bad performances out of David McCormick and Jalen Wilson, two guys that that are important players for him for Kansas. I think that's that's something where they struggle. But yeah, as far as the perimeter being small in the perimeter, that's been Bill Self's concern. One reason he's a little been a little, was a little hesitant in the start of the year to like start two little guards together. If if Jalen Wilson wouldn't have got the DUI. Before the season, you would have looked at Kansas not starting two little guards, maybe not playing two little guards together as much as they have so far. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and when I take a look at these games and I move forward, right, I try to think, is this the blueprint for beating Kansas? Is this something that we should be more excited than Kansas concerned, right? Um, and when I looked at this, I definitely thought it was Dayton fans being excited for slipping by. Um, in a David versus Goliath type of format. And if, if I'm a Kansas fan, I look at this line score and I go, Dayton turned the ball over 20 times and we shot four for 19 from three-point land and it took a rain raindrop uh, miracle shot on a broken play to beat us at the buzzer. It's, it's hard to be that concerned about a loss like that. Do you agree or disagree? Yeah, I think it pointed out some some flaws so far and what some things Kansas needs to get better at. And I thought KU lost the game on the defensive end. Just 
not being locked in every possession and coming out in the second half, just not with great energy. And I think it's not a talented enough team to just be able to coast by in games against another pretty talented team. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's where I thought Kansas lost the game. Probably that early stretch of the second half, uh, just not being locked in defensively and expecting to just be able to outscore people. And I, I thought that's where they lost it. And then when the, the game got tight, they got, got close. They, they got a little tight around the neck and, and uh, you know, threw up some, some bad shots. So um, I, I think that's kind of where Kansas lost to be. Yeah, I, I don't think it's, it's super, super, super concerning for Kansas. And I'd be, I'd say it's more of an encouraging sign for Dayton uh, to be able to, to beat a team like that, especially after the start Dayton had, like, you know, I understand Dayton's, Young, but man, how do you lose those three games? Like it's just crazy. <laughs> yeah, we're uh, we're still asking ourselves that right now, CJ. I promise, bud. <laughs> bounce back and, and beat the three teams they beat, and you know, and to to come off the Kansas game and then go beat a team like Belmont, who's really really hard to guard, just with the stuff Belmont has always run. Uh, you know, I know it's a different coach, but Casey Alexander, I think, is part of that coaching tree, and he's a guy that's a, I know a really good coach coming from Lipscomb. So, uh, you know, to come back and, and beat a team like Belmont, who's who's tough to deal with, just an, just a different kind of team to guard, uh, I, I think was impressive. And, you know, I, I really like Dayton's ability on the defensive end. Uh, I think they show the potential just, just – you know, I watched a little bit of the the Belmont game today, and just the good positional size, a lot of switchable guys. Um, you know, I think there's really something to build off of. And you know, Anthony Grant, I know, is a very good offensive coach, and they run they run pretty stuff and do a really good job spreading it out and running ball screen stuff, as we saw a couple of years ago. So yep. I think as the offense seem, starts to to really, you know, the cohesiveness starts to get better and better and better. Um, you know, I think this is a team that that could be a problem here that the next couple of years maybe not this season maybe it maybe it's a little up and down this year um but man if i if i go back to look at like the you know the 19 season when they went 21 and 12 um and you know there was that was the start of something really special right like yep. maybe this is that 19 season for Dayton the next seasons where you know i'm not going to say they're as good as as that team because Obi Toppin was a pretty special yeah. dude. But uh but I think they could be building to to you know being pretty darn good next year and and you know maybe being a problem problem this season in the A10. I know the A10's pretty solid this year, but um there's no reason they can't compete with just about anybody in the league. Yeah, and that's kind of the hope now when you lose. I think uh to be honest with you, man, like a lot of Dayton fans right now are starting to come to terms or realize the ramifications of losing three quad four games in a row. Um, Cause I think it was like an out of sight, out of mind thing. And now we actually have a reason to consider those ramifications. Now that they've won three games in a row. And I think people are sitting around this week and they're going to go, Oh yeah, that's right. It's a way bigger hill to climb out from uh, than you, you know, than like losing, you know, they would have lost to Belmont in the championship or something. So you're right. It, it might be a year away. And that was going to be my last question to you was, you know, what impressed you about Dayton? But, um, you know, now that you have some game film on them, you, you said it all right. They're probably going to sneak up some teams uh, and they're probably going to lose to a couple more teams they shouldn't have because um, that's kind of the nature of the beast when you're figuring it out and playing with lineups and rotations and all that. Right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean just just they've got the characteristics of a young team like turning it over too much 
Um, but man, like you look at their two point percentage so far, you know, they're creeping back up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's pretty darn good. Uh, they haven't shot it well, but, but to me, it looked like they've got some shooters. Um, like the kid that came off the bench, uh, is it Kobe Elvis, maybe Kobe Elvis. Yeah. He's, he, uh, didn't play, uh, Kobe Brea came off the bench, uh, in the Kansas game. And then we have Kobe Elvis who didn't play at all in the Kansas game. Yeah. Kobe Kobe Bray. Uh, I know they had a shooter off the bench that like I looked at that stroke and it was it was nice. And forgive me for not knowing the, the personnel. That's <laughs> all good, man. Yeah. <laughs> all, you know, all I uh, I gave you for the prerequisite was the Kansas perspective. So it, I'll fill in the blanks. That's my job here. Yeah, yeah no, no worries. But no, I, <laughs> I, I saw some some talent that, that I liked and, um, you know, it's just and it's the, as I point out it's on my uh, immediately after like it's the it's the youngest team in college basketball so (laughs) that's uh the fact that the youngest team in college basketball is is beating miami kansas and belmont on back you know basically back to back to back days is uh is something for uh, a fan base to to get excited about and you know you know they're going to have a great home court advantage even though they lost all those games at home uh you know that place is going to be rocking i'm sure especially after winning these games it will indeed, my friend. Virginia Tech comes to town next Sunday, and I get to do this. Is my first plug of the show. There'll be many plugs, but I get to do my live radio show before Virginia Tech comes to town, and they're surely in for it uh, when they come into UD Arena. So, uh, CJ, you've been a great guest, but before I let you go, I give trivia to just about everybody that comes on to my program, and yours is some historical Dayton versus Kansas series trivia. So, um, if you're a man of a certain age, and me being 31, if you're even around my age you know that Dayton and Kansas have played three times while we've been on the planet uh, 2009 in the NCAA tournament they lost to the Cole Aldrich team he recorded a triple double in that game beating Dayton quite handily they of course lost the Maui Invitational to Kansas uh, in the final the Obi Toppin year and then the game we just watched this past weekend but the series is now two and two Dayton won the previous meeting and it was in the postseason and my trivia question to you is, when did Dayton beat Kansas in their first meeting before 2009? Oh, man. So, um... It's way back, man. It, it, I, I gotta say, it's probably not in my basketball watching lifetime. <laughs> it would not be, no. <laughs> I, I was born in 1984, and the first season I remember was 90-91. And I can't recall Dayton and Kansas playing since then. Uh, but, but, but other than the games you mentioned, obviously. Yep. I'm going to go with um, it happening like sometime in the 70s. Uh, let's say 1974. Yeah, almost. The 1968 NIT final was oh, Dayton okay. against Kansas, and Dayton won that game 61-48 to to win the NIT. That's, wow. that's that's a piece of trivia right there. Was but. that uh, was was JoJo White around yet, or was was he already gone from Kansas? I don't have the box score up right now, but I can dig into the roster and let's find yep. out. JoJo White played from sixty five to sixty nine, so that that's a that's a legit win because JoJo White could go. <laughs> there, there you go. So you have learned something today, um, and that's the point of the program in general. Um, CJ, again, I thank you for coming on, man. Dayton fans always love the perspective of the other team. And, uh, you know, we got to relish a little bit in, in beating a program like Kansas. So thanks again for the time, man.
Yeah, no, no problem. Now, now if you have a, a, a writer like me on again, you gotta, you gotta quit asking you guys. Cause I, I do not shoot any jump shots. I do not make any, <laughs> um, I cover the team quite a bit, but, uh, and, and I did go to school at Kansas, but you know, like I said, I am on my own team and root for my own self. you know i think that is definitely inherently a a ud thing of mine because in dayton like we do use the we thing a lot and i get it i get it like people come up to me and they do give me that crap sometimes they'll be like you're not on the team i'm like all right i know i'm not on the team i'm alumni i'm a a diehard fan so i just say we you know we're the dayton team the dayton flyers we I think in your in your spot you're okay, but uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know, man. It, it can go either way, but I do appreciate you taking that step and you know giving them an arm's distance away. I do appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, no worries. Well, thanks, thanks for having me on, man. No doubt. That's CJ Moore from the Athletic. Again, you can find him at CJ Moore Hoops on Twitter if you are so inclined. You're listening to Talking Out Loud. Brooks Hall coming up on the other side of the break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome into the second segment of Talking Out Loud after a joyous weekend, holiday weekend in Orlando. Flyers go 0-3, turning the tables on a 1-3 season, now looking at 4-3. They've climbed up 25 spots in the Ken Palm ranking, if you're into that sort of thing. I hope you enjoyed the interview we did on the front half of the show uh, with CJ Moore from The Athletic, just giving you the Kansas perspective on what they saw uh, last Friday in Dayton's win over Kansas. Now to the meat and bones of the show. This is why everybody came in. If you're a Dayton Flyer fan, this is why you are pulling up the podcast and subscribing. And this is a perfect time to remind you that if you haven't left a review or put kind of some star rating on the Talking Out Loud podcast, please do so because I get a huge kick out of it. And I do need to give a shout out before I introduce um, my special guest today. I got to give a shout out to the one guy on the Apple podcast platform that gave me a two star review because he wasn't really willing to go all the way down and sully my name with the one-star review. But, you know, he really needed to say how he felt. And so I really appreciate you, sir, being honest, not completely pissing on my grave with the one-star review and bumping me up to the two. So I appreciate you out there, sirs, and, of course, everybody else that has left a review for this fine podcast that, again, focuses solely on Dayton basketball. So it has been brought to our attention online and otherwise that uh, we got a little bit of a Skip Bayless, uh, Stephen A. Smith type of dynamic going on here. I guess now it's a Stephen A. Max Kellerman type of deal, um, which I guess is a little bit more fitting given the demographic of the two of us here. But um, the online community has spoken 
And they have said that Brooks Hall needs to come on the Talking Out Loud show a little bit more so that we can argue about Dayton basketball. So he has returned for his second appearance this season. Brooks, great to have you back on the program. We have plenty to talk about today, my man. Man, you know it. I'm always glad to, to join you and talk hoops. And that, hey, that Stephen A., Skip Bayless, Max Kellerman, listen, that, that's us. And I'm going <laughs> to defend my fly. Listen, I know you love them. But we, but we love them differently. You, you, That's true. You, you are hard on them, and I respect it. Um, I'm a glass half full kind of guy. So let's get to it, man. Yeah, and and this is exactly where I love to um, tell listeners the difference between when you've been a player and when you're a fan. And Chip right. Mike Sell came on last, uh, I think, like in the spring, and he told me this. And he said, when you instantly go from playing to being a fan, you do kind of have to adjust your mindset a little bit. But with that in mind, I think you know as well as anybody, once you're a player and you've gone through the ups and downs of a season, you have a way different perspective on it because as the fans, we kind of just take it at face value. And frankly, we can't do anything about it. So all we can do is react and put out our verbiage on how we feel. But you look at it as a player and you go, okay, we'll right these wrongs and move forward. So I guess that kind of leans into why you say like, I back them a little bit more, but it basically just comes from the fact that you know the work that gets put in over the season to have those ups and downs, right? No, that's that's exactly right, and and you you said that so well. Um, and Mike, so he's right. So I'm always going to have a a, a tent of bias uh, coming from being a former flyer, and then you know being a radio guy and being close to the program, and I tend to develop relationships with each group like I've, I've developed relationships with this group even though even though the face a lot of the faces are new I'm, I'm starting to develop relationships with you know guys like um, Lynn Greer and, and Weaver and, and they're just all everybody they're just all so welcoming so I, I gotta be honest when that happens I'm going to tend to defend them a little bit harder but sure. anybody that listens to me or knows me or I, I call it how I see it I mean when they're not playing well I, I'll say they're not playing well but I am able to because I'm at the practices and I get the nuances of the game. I can kind of see when 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 things are are heading a certain way. And I knew this team um, they were going to turn it around. Now, so you, I didn't. I'm not going to say that I would have predicted they would beat Kansas. <laughs> yeah, I called you out. On that. I was like, no. I was like, do not come on the show this week and be like, I said they're going to beat Kansas. I was like, I'm yeah. not going to allow that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You sent me a text, man. You told me I ain't going. I ain't going to do that. <laughs> but. But not, but I but I did know that they would go down there and play well. And and I actually I told Larry and Larry Hanskin and I, we both agreed that we're not. I'm not shocked that they did win it. I'm, I thought that they would win two two or three. Um, based and you know ended up being best case scenario where they were able to win all three. But we'll get into reasons why I say that. But man, I'm not. I'm really not surprised. Yeah, yeah, and and we'll so we'll back up with with that in mind. Um, Flyers went into the Orlando tournament at one and three, obviously taking three horrific losses. And when we talk about the expectations of the season going in, and we talked about why are we so hard on the team after three losses? They're a young team. And we were quick to point out they're a young team, but they do have guys that have college basketball experience. Number one, and number two, the bar was not set all that high. Like, I think in this fan base, there is a certain amount of leeway that comes with being a young team and being a fresh season. But with that in mind, the bar is set incredibly low to expect the team to go out and beat three teams or four teams in bye games, because that's precisely why you put those bye games in place before you go to Thanksgiving. So 
it's not necessarily that people were angry with losing three games. They were angry with losing three games to teams that were beneath Dayton as far as basketball programs go. So setting the stage there, Brooks, um, for those first four games, you know, there were a lot of things going wrong for the Flyers, not the least of which was that their opponents were coming in um, and, and they were getting buckets on the inside. Now, UIC and Lowell in the first two games, those guys didn't really have big men. They kind of played those small lineups. But then Lipscomb came in and as well as Austin P. And their two big men went for 21 and 25, respectively. Austin P's big man got 13 points from the charity stripe. And, you know, entry passes were just so easy. The interior defense was soft. That's still something that they have to work on. But in those four games, I think that where I was coming from and why I was so concerned about where the program was going was that in previous years, and you know as well as anybody, Brian Gregory, Archie Miller, those are guys that really won all the games that they were supposed to save for a couple. I believe when I was going back and running the numbers that Archie Miller lost two games that were Ken Palm 200 plus, BG lost one, and now AG is up to 10. So the concern at that time, or let's say a week ago, was that not only are we losing games to inferior teams, it's actually happening quite often. When you couple that with the struggles that Grant has had historically in closing out games from a coaching standpoint, those are all the reasons you need tangibly to say, hey, I'm worried about where the trajectory is going for this program. Now, let's back all that up. Four games in, they were one and three going into Orlando. What did you see that the team was really struggling with in that stretch? Well, they were struggling with a few things. Uh, they were struggling with rotations, right? Trying to figure out who who's going to play how many minutes. And, and they were also struggling with roles. Um, and that's very important. Who's going to do what? Like, like you know, Tamani, we all, we all thought he was going to be the guy. We've seen his transition. He, he has struggled um, being the guy. What does that look like? What, where does he impact the game? Um, who's going to be our floor general, the point guard, Kobe Elvis. They brought Kobe in to play the two. Kobe's more of a natural scorer. You kind of saw him do that yesterday. Um, you know, he, he went quiet for a while. He got a, a quick start, went quiet, didn't play well, dealing with the injury, started turning the ball over. Um, but they once, once Mali started to kind of take that role as the one Kobe was able to play. Uh, I think I won't say yesterday, I'm not looking at the box score, but, but was able to put the ball in the basket a little bit. I think he ended up with 12 maybe and shot well. Um, you know, so it, guys trying to figure out where they're where do they fit in this puzzle? OK, but but Sully, I'm going to give you two reasons and I could I could go for two hours explaining the dynamics of this team. But I'm, I'm going to summarize it in two areas of, of the reason for struggling and why we saw such a drastic change. OK, first, I'm, I'm going to talk X's and O's real quick. What people need to understand, the transition and we're talking about them being the youngest team and one of the youngest teams in the country. And I get it. Yes. Some guys played last year and I get all that, but, but the reality is games played. A lot of these guys have not played a lot of games collegiately, or they have not played them in the role that they're being asked to play them in this year. Okay. So what happens sure. X's and O's wise, Anthony Grant, he, he is a pro style teacher, meaning he does not teach set plays where you go from a to B to C that would be easy for a young guy to play, right? Like you do this, then you pass here, then you go there. Well, that, that's, that's what not most how college teams do. There yeah. you go. There you go. So, so yes, it's easier for younger guys to transition there. 
but he teaches pro styles both offensively and defensively to where their concepts, he teaches concepts, but he expects these guys to make the right reads when things are going on on the court, which I love. But mm -hmm. the challenge with that is, man, that is hard to do and hard to teach and that you don't learn it quickly, right? So you're yeah. trying to teach Molly and Kobe Elvis and I can, the list goes on of guys, how to play this style and make reads on the court. And for example, uh, Holmes, there's, there's defensive calls to where it's up to Holmes to call out the defense, how they're going to guard ball screens and then what to do. And he's doing this all on the fly. And this is an 18 year old, 19 year old kid who's sure. never played at this level. Right. So I can go on and on about it, but you get the point. So that is going to take time. So when these other programs come in that are more experienced, we, we are way more talented than them. But they're they're more experienced. That's why we saw the close games. Now, what I will admit, I did not think we would lose those games. Right? No, that's that, that nobody did. Right? That's not okay. That they have to learn how to win those games. But I, I understand why they were close. Okay. Uh, the other piece: How did we lose those three games and then go down to Orlando to win? Well, guess what? The pressure of being the hunter versus the hunted. Okay. People came into Dayton ready to get this signature win on their resume, beating Dayton at home, that Dayton name. These guys, not knowing that these guys are their babies, they don't know what they're doing. So yeah. they came in, you've got the pressure of 13,000, the expectation of playing well at Dayton. And you got people that are here trying to knock your head off and you don't really know what you're doing yet. <laughs> that yeah. all equals three bad losses. Now yep. you go down and you play Kansas and, and you play Miami and you're the underdog. Right. You're playing with house money. There's nothing to lose. Nobody expects you to win anyway. And you, man, it's easy to play that way. You're playing loose and free. And we said it early on. You're going to see them lose games they shouldn't and, and win games that will surprise you. And then that's what we saw. Yeah, yeah, we definitely saw that. We we did say that, I guess, uh, it was probably like two months ago. Um, oh, yeah. As I was thinking back to my conversation with you and then the one that I had right before we talked when I spoke with Larry, um, you know, you said the team's going to win some, they shouldn't lose some, they shouldn't. I was like, all right, well, I didn't expect it to be like this. You know, it could have right, been right. a little bit less so on the extremes. And then uh, Larry said something that, of course, is like so on the nose now. And of course, he had no idea of knowing how on the nose this would be. But he said that the thrill of this season going in and, you know, we talked in September, he said the reason people are so excited about this season is the the unknown. Like it's literally so unknown what this team was going to do. And man, if we haven't seen it in the first two and a half weeks, three weeks of the season now, um, it really has been a roller coaster. And your point's well taken about the home and away thing. And um, I I think about this all the time because I heard this. I'm a big hockey guy being from Pittsburgh. Um, it's one of the things that doesn't align very well with the culture in Ohio because people just don't give a crap about hockey one way or the other. But <laughs> I remember this one quote from guys that were playing in the playoffs. And hockey is generally a game where like the home and away doesn't matter a whole lot. So they asked them about home versus playing on the road. And it's exactly what you said. A lot of guys prefer playing on the road because you're always kind of uh, the hunted, you know, or, you know, and you kind of have that like you're the hunter rather that you have the right. chip on your shoulder, right? You go into buildings that are raucous or rooting against you. They're yelling at you. Whereas at home, it's kind of like the quicksand effect where things aren't going well. 
The fans are going to get on you a little bit. The fans are a little bit more unhappy. Now you're putting more pressure on yourself. Now you're making plays that are sloppy. You're not thinking as much, right? Um, right. Those kinds of pressures don't exist on the road. And I mean, did you feel that way when you played, you know, I guess absolutely. whatever it was 20 years ago? Like, did you kind of feel that same way as well? Oh, absolutely. We love playing on the road. Yeah. We just did. Now, now we love playing at home, of course, right? We, yeah. I mean, it's not saying like I hated playing at home. I'm just saying right. like you had that mentality. You're like, we're going on the road. These people are six inches from our face when we're inbounding the ball. Let's give them something to cheer about. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, it was that kind of that that us against the world mentality that you were able to use on the road. Like it's a, it's a different motivation you have to find at home, but but on yeah. the road, being able to to come together, you've got twenty people on the trip, you've got your team and your managers, your coaches. That's it, and it's literally there's nobody in this gym now. Dayton travels well, so you know we we would typically have some fans on the road, but overall, you know everybody in this building hates you, and it, and it's easy to just use that as motivation. Um, so yeah, playing on the road. But but even this, this was a neutral site. So I guess you couldn't really use that um, for this team. But what they used was they had no pressure at all. There is not a single and I'm, I mean, I'm exaggerating, but there are not many people that thought they were going to go to Orlando and do well. I so, mean, they had people that even thought they were going to win a game after right, what we saw. You know? Right. Right. So. So come on, man. You're not. So there's no pressure of that. There's no expectations other than the ones you have on yourselves by your coaches because they all believed I went to practice. Listen, oh, yeah. I went to practice before they left, like the day before they left for Orlando. And that was the best practice I've been to. So if people thought that this team was falling off the rails or that they were going to be full, I, I thought the opposite. Yeah. I, I told, I told Larry that next day or that day after practice, I did, you know, the coach, coach Grant show. I told Larry, I said, this was the best practice they've had. It was the most intense. And by the way, it wasn't even just the players that were more intense. It was the coaching staff. Yeah, I mean, though they were turned up that practice, so you can tell everybody kind of feels a sense of urgency uh, to get things turned around, and man, they turned it around quickly. Yeah, they did, and um, I, I, I always take that kind of stuff with a grain of salt. You know, it has to obviously turn into results, and um, yeah. and you're right. You know, it's it's good to hear, but when you say that, I I go back to kind of how we were criticizing the team last week. And the one thing that I said about the team, and I was very, uh, very honest about this part of it, is that people said, you know, like last year, I think the biggest frustration with the team was towards the end of the year, it kind of felt like they were going through the motions and they're human. I think any, everybody understood why there was some, um, why there was like a lethargic approach to the season as we went towards the end. You know, it was pretty clear the season really wasn't going to amount to much, right? And I couldn't really fault the guys. So people ask me like, oh, we're starting one and three. You think it's an effort problem? And I'm like, listen, if there's one thing that I actually do know about this team being one and three, these guys are not going to quit. And they're 100 percent effort all the time. Like I see you saw the effort. It was just misplaced in so many different areas, which is, I guess, where the optimism or where th- it could start to creep in for guys like yourself to be like, all right, now hold on. There's certain areas that I think they can improve upon. And once they put it together, they have the effort, they have the energy level to bring it you know, forward. Cause Larry said something at the end of the Austin P game where he's like, they look physically and mentally exhausted. And I, I was like, I couldn't disagree more. I thought they were always giving effort a hundred percent. It just wasn't effort that was in the right areas. So yeah, we fast forward to, you know, like one and three and give me those like when you're sitting at practice, you told Larry, hey, they're going to win two out of three in Orlando. I mean, what were you looking at? What was behind you being absolutely 
having or sorry, having a conviction that they were going to win two out of three at least? No, no, that's a great question and a great point. And and I don't know that they look physically tired. I think Larry might have misspoke when he said physically tired. I mean, maybe but, they but, did at the end of the game. I wasn't there. I'm well, just saying. Yeah. You know? well, well, maybe, but I think more importantly, me- mentally exhausted is is actually that's a thing. I mean, when you're getting beat sure. up on mentally and and the, the pressure of, of not performing well, and you, you get all that. So so the guys were mentally fatigued, but that's understandable. It doesn't mean they're going to quit or or not try. But for man, sure. it's frustrating, right? But well, here's what I saw: the biggest difference in practice. This this team, um, you're 100 percent right. It's not going to be an effort thing. It's going to be an execution thing. It's going to be a focus thing. And that's what I saw uh, the, the biggest difference in practice. They always go hard and the energy's great. But I, I felt that the focus was a lot better. The attention to detail, the, the, the every rep was sharp. Well, not every rep. You're never going to have a perfect practice. But the, 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 the mistakes, they were cutting way down on their mistakes, even in practice. Um watching guys' body language is in between drills. So the guys that are participating in drills, in the beginning, I won't say names, but but some of the guys, I won't, they weren't as engaged, right? They weren't as yeah. engaged when they weren't in the drill. Just little stuff that all of that, it, it adds up and, and it shows up on the court. That practice that I saw, everything was good. The body language off the court, I mean, when they weren't in the drills, the effort during the drills as far as execution. And then I'm going to say this, I knew that my okay. I don't want to overstate it. I'm, I'm not shocked yeah. that that Malachi is has become our leader, and, yeah. and I saw that he had the potential. But at this this practice, I keep talking about, he was by far the biggest, most vocal leader in that particular practice. Which now you you fast forward and you see how he played in Orlando. It doesn't surprise me. I mean, he led that practice. His energy has always been good, but now he's being vocal. And it, I mean, we can talk about that in a second, but man, yeah. who would have thought that we would be relying on a freshman to kind of get things corrected right away? But man, he, he showed up right on time. Yeah. And that was one of the things that I started arguing with people about because obviously the fallback complaint of the team was, oh, they're young, they're young, they're young. And I'm like, okay, I understand that. But then when you look at the production that they were getting by the time we got to the Austin P game, everybody was like, well, the two most productive guys so far have been their true freshmen. So the youth that they actually brought into the team has been more productive than the guys that have played meaningful college basketball minutes, which kind of made you scratch your head. And, and it, that was where I started to kind of lean against the team being so young and this and that. The one thing that definitely showed its head and it still shows its head now. I mean, this is I wrote down the three areas that the Flyers have to clean up after this this three game stretch here. The turnovers are the most obvious. The, the interior defense is number two. But number three is that killer instinct. And that is the biggest thing that comes from youth, right? Is when you have a team down the mat, you got to keep them there. And you have to keep your foot on the throttle in the last, let's say, the 12 to four. Anthony always talks about the 12 to four, right? If you can dominate the stretch, that eight minute stretch from 12 to four in the second half, you're probably going to win the game. And that was something that they really struggled with in those first four games. And especially with Austin P, was they were up big and then they just didn't know how to keep the accelerator down to finish those teams off. And that's definitely stuff that I can take a step back and go, okay, that comes with experience. But just like we said, 
when you're playing teams like that at home, you got to be able to figure out how to gut out those one or two point wins because people don't really care in college basketball. It's not a style competition. It's not like football. You got to win by 10. You got to win by 21 if you're at home. As long as you get the win on the resume, it doesn't really matter. Um, so I think now this team at least got some of that experience, but there's still a lot of areas that they they got to clean up um, moving forward, right? I mean, outside of those three things, like, you know, you saw the turnovers. You saw how they've been getting gashed in the interior defense. Um, has there anything else that, that's kind of stood out to you with the team as far as the things that either they have cleaned up or moving forward that they need to? Well, yeah, and I'll speak to the, the three things you said, and then I'll add another. So, you know, the interior defense, listen, it, it is what it is. That, that's We don't have 6'10", 275, and it'll clog the paint up. You know, Yeah, it is what it is. Yep. It is what it is. So that's going to be something that they'll have to adjust to throughout the entire season. It's not, that's, that's not going to be a, a gap that we feel this year. Right. But yep. now can we get creative and, and double team and switch and do all the, yeah, well they'll get creative, but yeah, that's going to be a struggle all year. But the other two things you talked about turnovers and killer instinct, and I'm glad to hear you saying you understand that because those are things that are only cured by experience game experience. Yep. You, you, that's the only way to fix learning how to take care of the basketball at this level learning how to to win close games like it only comes with experience you can rep it and drill it all you want in practice but you can't you can't simulate what it's like real time in a real game you know what i mean it's just impossible so that's where when we talk about the frustrations of the ups and downs that's why you're going to see you're going to see us beat kansas and lose to a team we shouldn't because of those tur those turnovers that are going to happen it's going to be a problem all year the killer instinct is going to be a problem all year, closing out games. Um, and then the other piece that's going to hurt us from time to time, we are not a good shooting team. I've said this mm -hmm. all preseason. I'll continue. We have capable shooters. We have guys that can get hot and can make shots, right? But that's different than having a roster full of shooters. Yeah. You know, so Kobe Elvis is what I would consider a shooter. He's a guy, you, he's going to shoot 35 to 40% before the season's over. Um, Kobe Berea, who hasn't really found it yet, we know he is a shooter, right? Doesn't Even though the ball's not falling for him consistently. But after that, it, it's really a bunch of streaky guys, right? So yep. shooting, that man, through. Going, <laughs> right. So shooting is going to also be something that's going to unfortunately probably sting us a time or two this year. And it, and it has. Um, but on the flip side, um, you know, for me, I was trying to take a look at why did the Flyers win these games, right? There's always reasons. The stats don't lie. We know that yeah. when you go back and you can look at a sample set. And that's one of the reasons I love these holiday tournaments, because they give you the three game sample set right. to take right. a look at how did we do and, and what are the trends here? And unfortunately, like if I, you know, I hate to be like this because we're, you know, we're celebrating. I'm high right now. We're four and three. We're back in the mix. I got stuff to talk about. So I don't like, people to be like this. Sully, man. Stay. Don't go. Stay. I man. know. No, I know, man. You were, you were pumped up about that on Thanksgiving. So that, uh, it made my holiday. But, um, yeah, no, I, I mean, there were tons of positives to take away from this, but I, I'm going to be quick to remind people that the reason that Flyers won three games in a row was because of the opponent shooting, not because of ours. Um, in the, the Miami game, they were four for 20 from three in the Kansas game. They were four for 19 from three Belmont game. They were six for 22 from three. 
Um, the Miami game might not have mattered one way or the other. The Kansas game, they probably lose by double digits if they even have a normal shooting game. And then the, uh, the Belmont game, again, same thing. They probably lose by double digits if Belmont has a normal shooting game because that's their style. They're going to get out and transition. They're going to take quick shots early on the shot clock. And if they're not hitting, that's how you beat them. I mean, that's kind of been how you beat Belmont for like five years now. Um, so again, I'm playing both sides a little bit because the Flyers have improved greatly on the defensive end. And um, I was looking at defensive points per possession numbers, and all those were improved across the board, Belmont, Kansas, and Miami. Um, so it, it's telling a story, right, is that the Flyers are getting better defensively. They're putting more pressure on the ball. Their switches are better, which, again, is game experience getting organized. But on the other end of the spectrum, if the other team knocks down some shots, some wide open looks, I mean, we saw a lot of wide open looks over the past weekend. Um, it could have been a different result for us, but you can only play what's in front of you. And and I guess that leads you to my, my next question that I found was interesting. The Miami game, um, Dayton led wire to wire. There's not a whole lot of story there other than they just they look like the better team. But I was interested to get your perspective. I said this on the rapid reaction. After we beat Kansas, I walked away and I said, I don't really feel like we played that well. Did you? Yeah, but hold on, man. I can't let you get away with them shooting stats, man. Come on. Now. I you mean, gonna say, all right, gonna go say ahead. We're going to try to move on. Hold on, man. What do so, you have? All right, yeah. Are, are we, going, we can't say that those teams just didn't shoot well. And I agree there were there were some open looks. That's basketball. You're, you're going to give up some open looks. Sure. But Dayton has had a lot to do with those shooting percentages. Sure. And, and, and that's – and they and they stat open looks by the way like so for example when they played Cedarville in the ex- exhibition yeah they beat Cedarville by 30 but they did not play well defensively and Cedarville had I want to say because Dayton statted this I want to say 11 wide open looks from three that they just missed they missed all of them uh-huh. uh, that so I don't they didn't these Miami these last three games they did not give up that many wide open looks each game um Dayton's defense did a good job man of, of at least moderately contesting shots if not fully contesting jump shots so sure i want to say those per shootings those shooting percentages are were down like that because of defense defensive effort by dayton well i i can definitely agree with that and the numbers do support that because out of all the teams in the country the flyers are in the bottom 30 right now in defensive time of possession so what that means for listeners is that of all the teams in the country there's only about 30 that are forcing their opponents deeper in the shot clock to take looks. So like the D1 average is like right around 17 seconds. Dayton yep. is almost at 19 seconds, which basically means that every time down the court, the Flyers are forcing their opponents to take a look in the last 10 seconds, take a shot rather in the last 10 seconds of the shot clock. So absolutely. The statistics point to that is that they're getting more pressure on the ball. They're forcing teams into the half court offense, and then they're making them take, you know, lower percentage shots, at the end of the shot clock. So, yeah, I mean, it's not like, you know, it's definitely not something you can just rattle off and say, oh, well, oh, well, the, the opponents weren't shooting that well. It definitely was a cause for Dayton. Um, but I think that's something like, I guess the reason I brought it up was that's something to monitor because as right. I was looking through the first four games and the last three games, you know, now that we can kind of reset and go, all right, you know, I think what 10 days ago people were like what are we going to play for this season you know like what is going to happen in orlando and now all of a sudden it's like okay well we're not back in the nca tournament mix and i want to make that extremely clear for people like 
we did enough damage in those three losses that we're not like back in the NCAA at large mix all of a sudden. We can have that conversation after like a month if Dayton rattles off the next six wins in a row. I'm going to leave that there. I don't think I need to say it again. Um, But I was trying to look for trends moving forward of how is this team going to be successful? What's their identity defensively? Because I'm going to be honest with you, the biggest thing for me going into Orlando that I was so concerned about was that I didn't know what Dayton was good at and I had no idea what their identity was. And those are two things that are super concerning because by the fourth or fifth game, you should at least know how the team is going to win games. And I really don't didn't feel like anybody had that blueprint yet. Yeah, no, and I agree with you. No, those are all good points. And we have it now, but but man, it's been a, a major blessing that that Molly and and uh Duran they woke up at the same time. Yeah. Because yeah, as freshmen, you just never know. You know it's going to click. When you have talented freshmen, it's going to click at some point in their freshman year where they just get it. Like, okay, wait a minute. I can impact the game at this level. Some it takes longer than others. But for these two to get it so quickly, uh, man, and, and to do it at the level that they're doing it on the stage that they did it at, is is unbelievable, but I agree with you with the identity thing. I guess I brought that up. Their identity is going to be that intensity that they played with. That's one thing no one can argue that watched these games last week. They played with a different type of intensity. It's the intensity that we were begging to see at home when they were losing to those bad teams. And and maybe, I don't know what it was. It's, it's probably that on the road where it's just us against the world mentality, but they played uh, together in a way that we had not seen. And so now here's another challenge, though, because I lived it as a player. Mm-hmm. You, you go on the road, you have these emotional wins. You know, even 20 years ago when I played, we went to Maui, had big wins, man. We, we, we beat number 12 UConn and number six Maryland and, and played really well against number one Arizona that time. So That's we right. came back yeah. feeling ourselves, right, and, and promptly lost to Marshall. Humble, bro. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, hey, man, you're coming back to an Alabama state who just does not care what you just did in Orlando. Matter of fact, they see it as an opportunity. So yeah, we'll are, are you still host, you know, feeling good about yourself and, you know, all the fan, everybody loves you again. And and remember, we're talking about young guys who have not been there. So can you handle when everybody's telling you how great you are and, and can you stay just as hungry as you were when, when you, you sucked for a while or now do you think you've arrived and now you have a, a drop off and lose to an Alabama state at home? Yep. Yep. Um, great segue into my trivia question of the night. And we're finishing up uh, on talking out loud here with Brooks Hall. Thanks for sticking around to the program this week. We'll have another show on Wednesday night. And then next weekend, our very first live show is going to happen from Timothy's Bar and Grill on Brown Street. Come ready. It's going to be great, bro. Let's go. I'm already ready for it. It's going to be <laughs> awesome. Um, all right. Trivia question tonight was Flyers have lost three home games in the non-conference already. Um, I'd like to think we got three home games left in the or sorry, four home games left in the non-conference. We won't have to talk about this again. But when was the last season the Dayton Flyers lost three non-conference games at home? The last time. Wow. It's been a while. That's what I'll say. I, I was going, man. I'm I'm back in the in the early when I come to ninety nine. I'm gonna say ninety four. I have bad news, Brooks Hall. It was your team. In nah, don't do that. I don't believe it. Lies. Prove it. 
<laughs> oh man, I was cracking up. I was because I was kind of curious myself. Um, yeah, that was like it, you know, Jabba put it in the paper, um, whatnot. Like, oh, you know, they haven't lost three consecutive games in a while, and so I'm going back. I'm like, oh, I wonder when the last time we lost three home games uh, in the non-con. <laughs> and you're right, you guys came back from Maui, lost to Cincinnati at home, and then yeah, lost to Marshall. Marshall at home, and What's then. The other one? Uh, and then a couple of weeks later, you guys lost to Old Dominion. So that was OP's revenge game, bro. And dropped it. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Nah, we beat Old Dominion on the road. Did we lose to them? Did they come here and beat us? Yeah, 2000. So it's been December of 2000, 81 76 final at UD Arena. Oh, man, I don't believe you. I got to look that up. <laughs> some, <laughs> you, look that up. <laughs> some of you, you have to uh, block out of your memory. Dude, right. and, and you know, I love going down these rabbit holes because the coach of Old Dominion that year was Jeff Capel, who took over uh, for Oliver Prunell when he left to go take over Dayton. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, I re- so I do. It makes I mean, I believe you because we OP cried when we beat Old Dominion at Old Dominion my senior year. Like yeah, it, then he got then he got soft when him come to the arena. Got, yeah, right. <laughs> right, yeah, man, he literally cried in the locker room after we won that game. And so, uh, yeah, but I forgot losing to them, man. Thanks for bringing that up. Appreciate you. No, no problem, man. Just facts only. That's all. No, I leave the emotions at the uh, at the front of the recording. Um, yeah, no, no facts only. Hold on, man. I got a request. What's that? Positive Sully, stay around for a while, man. Don't go back to the dark side. <laughs> I would never do it. Not after uh, the Flyers have humbled me in, in one way or another. Um, yeah, and so, again, the, you know, kind of going back to the, the Orlando tournament, you know, the other thing I started to look for was, like, what has Dayton improved on um, statistically? Sharing the ball is probably the most obvious. Um, their assist rate went up. The one thing that's been a new development for Dayton that we haven't had in a number of years is that this team is actually fairly efficient on the glass. Um, their rate of pulling down offensive and defensive rebounds is uh, is top 100 in the country, and and they're they're looking really solid as a rebounding team. And it's been a while, you know. I just Archie's yeah. teams were never really known for that. That wasn't his style. Um, BG's teams were really hard defensively, but he never really had a ton of great offensive rebounding teams. Um, so it's, you know, those are things that are great to see. But the other thing, and this was the most concerning thing that I brought up a couple of times, was that the two-point percentage, you know, how efficient the Flyers were around the basket and in the mid-range, that was way lower than Grant is used to. And if there's one thing you can count on from a Dayton team under Anthony Grant, it's that they're going to shoot 55 to 60% from two point land. And if you recall in the 2020 season, Dayton was number one in the country. They were almost 60% from two point land. In case you were wondering for a benchmark, the national average in two point percentage in the country is about 49%. So AG teams are like standard seven, eight percent above the national average in two point percentage. And that was one of the reasons that they got run out of the gym by Lipscomb and then struggled with UMass Lowell and Austin, not so much Austin P, but UMass Lowell was that they were missing a lot of buckets uh, or a lot of basket or shots around the basket. And their two point percentage was a lot lower than we become accustomed to. So those are things that they got turned around. And, you know, whether you want to chalk it up to experience guys getting floor time, I don't know. But that was something that had to turn around immediately. And it did. And look, you know, it kind of turned around their offense, right? They're more efficient just just because of that. Yeah. And guys, guys are missing layups that there's no way they're going to go all season. I mean, Tamani can't finish to save his life. And and, yeah. and he's still 
I mean, you look at his number. Here's what's crazy. We expected him to be the next best, right? And he and he is going to be crazy good here. The, the man's still averaging, what, 11 and 8, and he's not even playing great yet. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so it's un, unreal. But but to speak to those numbers that we're used to AG's team shooting, it goes back to execution. Those teams shot high percentages because, man, they they executed the, the, the mess out of his stuff. And, and so – these guys don't execute at an efficient enough clip yet to even be okay missing bunnies. So, cause they're yeah. missing bunnies, but they don't get enough of those open looks anyway. So they can't miss those if that makes sense. So as they continue to learn how to be efficient in the offense, they're, they're, you'll see those numbers skyrocket at some point. And then the last thing, you know, who's the next crutcher who, who's the next, you know, Scoochie Smith. It, what's funny is we don't have another one because, because Molly, Molly is completely different than them. Yeah. But, but he is the next point guard for the next four years, but it's not going to look like those guys. <laughs> it's it's those guys were more finesse. This guy is a, a killer. And, yeah, man. And the guys have kind of followed his lead. Yeah, he uh, I was trying to make a player comparison and, and he's kind of like if you threw together like Kyle Davis and London Warren. Um, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. neither of them, you know, could shoot from downtown for, you know, very well. You know, shouts out to Kyle. He's been on the program. I can say honest stuff about him. Um, and London is very well spoken for that. He didn't shoot the three. So, yeah. And then, you know, he clamps down defensively, just like Kyle used to do. Great distributor. Now, if we can just get somebody to throw him some alley-oops like London used to do back in the day. We might really be in business here. We don't have that connection. You know, Dayton fans, we love our dunks. You know that as well as anybody. Oh, they're coming, though, because this is, again, <laughs> it goes back to execution, though. But this is one of the most athletic teams we've had. So once they work the kinks out and, and figure out when and how to really work this offense, you got to remember, we're spoiled. The last the last team that we saw, and I don't even count last season, the last team that, that, yeah. the, that the fans really got the experience what was that 1920 team? And we were one of the top five teams in the country in assist. Yeah. Like we just knew how to share the ball, get great looks. So we're still spoiled. I mean, I, I am, you know, it doesn't look like it did the last time we really, last year's team was okay. Yeah. But, but man, we, we want to see it at a high level. Let's get up and down the court. And this team can run. I mean, we have the athletes that can fly up and down the court. We're still not running enough. And, and no. by the way, the coaching staff wants them to get up and down the court. So, here soon it's all going to come together now i gotta say this before we get off here yeah oh we're going we're going to be pissed again before the season's over <laughs> i know no and, i'm ready and, and probably in the near future like, like it's going to happen <laughs> yeah so just be ready for it man but just remember how you feel right now about this group and know that, that, that they are going to get it and get it figured out and and by the way we just know we can always win the atlantic 10 tournament no matter what our record is going into the end of the season yeah, so, it's fine for you to believe that. It's just been a while, so I'd have I'd have trouble recalling historically how I felt when that went down. Because when you were riding around downtown Dayton in the Tahoe, <laughs> it's been a while, bro. Um, I remember. <laughs> um, hey, hey, hold on, man. You did? Uh, did you? Oh, I did say. Did I say that on on air, off air, talking about the? That was on air. I didn't expose oh, you. That was man. on air, bro. You played me, man. <laughs> hey, uh, who was who was? Uh, Looking out the sunroof, I think it was Ramad, man, just waving his shirt around with his or waving his shirt in the air with his shirt off. Like, <laughs> I'm telling you, I don't know how we didn't get arrested that night. Uh, no 2000, uh, 2003 Dayton A10 winner stories. Yeah, go go through the archives of the podcast if you haven't heard those stories, listeners, because they're 
they're back there. Um, yeah, I believe we'll, you got me to share that, man. <laughs> That's my prowess as a radio host showing through right there. Okay, you're good. Um, you're good. No, no, you're you're right, man. Um, I think that UD did a really good job against Belmont yesterday in limiting the transition buckets defensively. Um, but yeah. they're still, I, th- I think, bottom fifty in the country in um, converting transition buckets. And with as many bodies as they have, I was the first one to say, like, I think it's logical looking at the numbers, the amount of people that we have, and the guys that can run, and how athletic they are, that we probably should push the pace. Uh, Ag has kind of always had a commitment. Um, to keep in that half court offense. And he probably will, but it's good to hear that they're going to take their chances in transition moving forward. Uh, with that in mind, dude, that, you know, it's four and three, man, it is what it is. Dayton's at one of seven and Ken Palm to give listeners a good perspective of like how much damage Dayton did to their resume. And those three losses, Miami, Florida is at one Oh six, exactly one spot ahead of Dayton. Um, even though they have won those three games. And that's literally just, a result of Dayton dropping three quad four games because that's how this all shakes out. Now I can't, I really don't think an at large uh, bid has ever been handed out to a team of three quad four losses. Dayton would have to do a lot to overcome that. And again, we'll save that conversation for down the road, but Brooks, I mean, where do we go from here, man? You know, what, what are you looking forward to or, or what are you going to look at with the homestand moving forward this week? Cause we got a game Wednesday night against Alabama state. And then Saturday afternoon against uh, Northern Illinois, both teams that are 300 plus Ken Palm teams. For me, um, I'm really just looking at the offensive end. Can we score 80? Can we win by double digits? That's what I think this team kind of has to prove to everybody at home this week, right? Yeah, and, and for me, yes, that's that's for sure something to pay attention to. For me, it's just an overview of can you can you play no letdowns? Can you play coming off of of, of such a high? Um, that you can still stay motivated against teams where you are the hunted. There, you've got to find your own motivation. And, and that's what I want to see. And I would really love to see. I don't want to see a close game. You know, like, I, know. I want to no, see. No, no. Yeah. Like I want them to come in and dominate both games. Even if we win, but in, if it's in a close game, I won't love that. Like I want to see them dominate because the, the schedule gets tough. The non-con schedule gets tough again. That's easy to, to get motivated, motivated for some of those games that they have coming up. But these next two, when it's not a it's not a sexy matchup, I mean, I, I want to see them dominate. Completely agree, man. That's where I'm at this week, too, is that you, when you got to get back to to protecting the home floor and, and beating teams that uh, that deserve the beating on our home floor, because that's why we pay them yeah. all and bring them in and feed them. But um, <laughs> right. Yeah, we're wrapping up here for uh, for this week's Talking Out Loud. Again, we're going to have a show on Wednesday after Alabama State. It'll be on uh, 1410 ESPN Radio. And then next week, uh, I'll be coming to you live from Tim's on Sunday morning uh, before NFL football. Uh, Dayton's a 2 p.m. tip against Virginia Tech. So I believe they're going to let me on the air at 1130 in the morning, maybe noon. Depends. I don't know. I get to pick my own schedule. It's kind of nice you know, doing the whole independent thing here. What but, happens um, when you're big time? Yeah, I don't know, you know, big time, but I can get some free beers at Tim's, you know, so, but I never really asked for more than that. You know, I'm a simple guy. Um, wrap it up with Brooks Hall, man. Do you have any final thoughts? I know we, we've kind of been through it all, the ups and downs with the, the emotions of the weekend, but, um, you know, what are the final thoughts here as we uh, turn the page and uh, look at Alabama State on Wednesday? No, nah, I mean, I appreciate, seriously, you allowing me to come on, and I know at the end of the day, we all love our flyers, and we it looks different for some people. Some people, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit uh, I'm biased, like we said in the beginning. 
um, because of my background with the team and all that. But I don't think I love them any more than, than you, uh, but you come from a different perspective. So people giving you a hard time. I get it. Hey, I roll my eyes at a lot of your tweets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you don't know shit it's all right well you're always like all right well, we'll hash that out <laughs> right 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 I, I've, hey, I've deleted several responses so you know. <laughs> me too <laughs> no nah, but i appreciate you having me on man yeah it's it's uh it's always fun to do it man and um i never really claimed to, to be anything else you know like when the game's over sometimes i'm really hot um it but it, the cooler heads always prevail uh, and like i said if uh, everybody gets to be right this week, if you thought Dayton stunk, you were certainly um, you certainly had all the evidence to prove that they stunk. If you believed them the whole time, now you have all the evidence in the world to prove that point of view as well. So everybody gets to be right, but we get to turn the page. We get to have more completely rational conversations as the flyer season moves forward. And that's all we can ask for anyways. Um, you know, like we've said a million times, I love just talking about it with people. And a lot of people have different perspectives than me on stuff. What I do not like to tolerate is just people who like have zero context and just jump in to say any old thing. Cause I generally speaking, know what I'm talking about. So that's, that's kind of where I draw the line, right? Like, I just don't like stupidity, yeah. man. That's that's exactly right. where I draw that line. That's all I'm I saying. I got you, man. I, yeah. I got you. Hey, 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 hold on. I need you to lighten up on AG. He's the man for the job. Quit coming for AG's neck, man. <laughs> that's the other leave, thing. Leave that man alone. A lot of people online seem to think that I have asked for him to be fired. And that's couldn't be further from the truth. There is never online, publicly or otherwise, have I ever said, I hope the man gets fired. I said here on this program when we talked that he was the right man for the job. I just had certain questions and you know, those questions were legitimate. Now maybe a little bit less legitimate. Hey, I love it, man. It made you, Hey, it made you look so bad though. I'm going to be honest. You're my guy. I know. I I, I love it because let's keep it real. I I don't, I did not see you ask for him to be fired, but you were, you were going to him tough. So he beats the number four team in the country. I loved it. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. A lot more people loved it too. Yeah. You're right. I mean, Sure. Like, did did it make did it make everything I said before that like look illegitimate? Like, absolutely. Um, but that's that's what I said to people is like, okay, I understand you want to give me my shots. Go ahead, I'm ready for him. That's why I have the show. But right. when you lose three two hundred Kempom games, man, right. yeah, I, I get it. You know, I, that's just where I was at that time. And I, like I said, I think we outlined on the program today at least like where those concerns were. But. You know, it's cool now. We get to turn the page. We get to watch new basketball Wednesday. We do. And the last thing I'll say, I, I will give him props because it was something I, I um, it just came to me. So when I did the AG show with Larry last week, one of the questions I asked him, I know the system he runs. I spoke on it earlier today where it's yep. it's that pro style. It's concepts, a lot of teaching. It's hard. And I asked him, I said, hey, are the guys where you thought they would be in terms of, of grasping the concepts? And, he, you know, he said that was a great question, but his response was that they're, they're not not all of them are where they were hoping they would be. So what they've done, they've kind of changed some things. And and I don't want to say dumb it down because, you know, that's a disrespectful term. But what they've yeah. done is they've made it a little bit easier for the young guys to, I guess, simplify. They've simplified it. And, man, I think the tweaks that they have made, that's why you're also seeing a major adjustment. So so I have to give the coaching staff props for adjusting. Yeah. So yeah, yeah absolutely. Man, it's, it's and, 
but again, that's what we were calling for. Like I was sitting here saying, I think we have the right staff in place, but here's the areas where we're weak. Here's where we get exposed. Here's where we need to make adjustments. And, um, you know, could I figure out how to be more delicate with that language? Of course, I'm a wordsmith. All right. So I'll take that to the uh, to the workshop. We'll work on it. We'll move forward. How about that? All right. Man, nah, man, be, be you. People are listening. I'm not, I'm not calling for change. I'm just going to call you out when you're wrong. That's all. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But hey, I had a whole last year that was miserable because I was like, I think this team's given up and they stink. And then that's kind of what happened. They just kind of they faded out into the darkness. And that was that. So yeah. I don't need to be right. I don't need to do. I told you so. Some people do. I don't. I just try to look at the picture tell you how I feel about it and give you reality here on a radio program. And that's what we do. So uh, we ran along because there was plenty to say, but the Flyers are four and three and they're heading back home for a Wednesday night tilt against Mo Williams, Alabama State Hornets. You're going to say hi to Mo Williams. Now he's going to be in Dayton. Going to say, hey, nah, nah, man, I ain't, I'm busy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, but no, it'll be, if you actually, I might try to reach out to him, but, and I'm going to head to practice tomorrow, stay in touch, go tell the guys I'm proud of them, man. And, and, and uh, hopefully now I'm going to tell them I'm proud of them, but I'm also watching for what we talked about to see if there's any letdown, even in practice. And uh, and I'll text you so they let you know if I'm concerned or not about the game. All right. Well, we'll keep that on the DL and then it'll surface on podcasts down the road. So uh, for Brooks Hall, I'm Sully. Uh, we ran long because, again, there was a lot to say. Uh, join us again Thursday after the Alabama State game. Uh, this is Talking Out Loud. You know, there's two rules. You wear red and be loud. The faces all around me, they don't smile, they just crack. Waiting for our ship to come, but our ship's not
Time inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.